everybody. It's Trags once again. It is July 15th, time for episode 359 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. You know the deal by now. Follow us on Twitter at PatriotsCLNS. You can also find us uh, on our website at clnsmedia.com. It is my pleasure to welcome back the one and only Sierra Goodwill to our mid-July episode of uh, Patriots Beat here on the CLNS Media Network. Are uh, you working on the suntan, are you? I've been working on it. Thanks for noticing. It's not very sunny right now. Uh, thunderstorms rolling through, but any chance I get, that's the perk of working from home. If you have like 15, 20 minutes or right after you're done for the day, you can go soak in some rays. So it's been good. That is good. Uh, we should also remind people, and John Zanis and Nick Gelso will be happy that I am reminding people of this. You can now follow and watch Patriots Beat on YouTube. Just go over to our CLNS Media YouTube channel and subscribe there, and you can uh, download and watch this video as well as listen to it on any platform of your choosing. So, Sierra, Good news for the Patriots. They suddenly have $8.5 million in salary cap space after spending most of the offseason, or at least um, most of the offseason up till now since the end of the uh, Tennessee Titans playoff loss. A lot of people have been worried about the play, about the salary cap. They suddenly have $8.5 million. How did they get to that point? Yeah, it's crazy. I feel like we blinked and they were, went from under 500,000 in salary cap space to now this point of 8 million. But getting uh, rid of some troublesome players, their grievances with Antonio Brown and Aaron Hernandez were a couple million dollars each that they cleared up some space, salary cap space. And then they reworked their contract with Rex Burkhead, which is something we all had kind of been talking about all offseason long that he had a really high hit against the cap for someone who was getting older in a positional group that was super deep. And it was, this was a deal, rework your deal with the Patriots or get cut. That was pretty much the situation for Rex Burkhead. So now here they are with some money to spend. Yeah, I think it's great. And now with that money to spend, every Patriots fan wants to like rub their hands together and uh, come come to a decision on, okay, what new toy can we bring into the lot um, to race around the uh, parking lot for Cam Newton and or Jared Stidham? And we'll get to Cam Newton in a second, but uh, there are a couple of names out there. Uh, Jadavian Clowney, uh, Terrell Pryor made news over the weekend um, saying that, uh, I believe on social media, it'd be fascinating to play football with Cam Newton. And David Njoku, and I think this is probably the one Patriot fans are most intrigued by. Uh, maybe Jadavian Clowney, but we'll get to him in a second. But the Njoku one, tight end who's played um, for the Cleveland Browns, he could be a weapon that could step into this offense. And, and while they drafted two rookie tight ends in the third round, this is a proven uh, pass-receiving tight end. Yeah, I think it makes sense if it's the right price. Because, like you just said, the Patriots got rid of a lot of draft picks. They used a lot of capital to move up into that third round to draft Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene. And we know now that the Patriots are really high on Devin Asiasi. But why I think David Njoku kind of makes sense, potentially, like I said, if they got it at the right price, a fifth, fourth round pick, potentially, is because of the offseason and the preseason. That's unprecedented. It's a lot to put two rookie tight ends 
throw them right into the mix and have super high expectations for them when they're not getting the time to learn the system, to practice like they normally would. So to have someone, okay, Njoku hasn't played for the Patriots, but he's been in the league for years before. So I think it makes sense if it's at the right price for, for him. Yeah, and certainly uh, everybody's going to point back to the rookie years of uh, Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez together. They, as you said, had an off-season, a full off-season. They had OTAs um, and they had training camp to go through. And uh, certainly they were in a much better position uh, than the Patriots and any NFL team with rookies face right now, uh, given the pandemic. And I don't know about you, but I'm starting to think, uh, and we, we knew from last week that the NFL PA really voted essentially not to have a preseason. Um, there is a stipulation in some type of memorandum of understanding uh, with the NFL that there would be some type of preseason, but I think one or two games tops, and I, I think one game, and then you're getting into the regular season. Absolutely. The, the, that shortened preseason is so huge for rookies, especially going into this offense. I mean, you saw how hard it was for Nikhil Harry last year, and he, he had a full preseason. He obviously had that injury that set him back milestones, but notoriously it takes a while for rookies to get up to speed in this system. I mean, you mentioned Rob Gronkowski's rookie season and how it was different, but I was even looking back at it recently. Incredible touchdown uh, production out of Gronk, but he didn't play a huge amount of snaps his rookie campaign. He was just really productive in the end zone when he was out there. So I think that's the one situation in David Njoku that does make a little bit of sense when it, when you're talking about this cap space that they now have. So I'm bringing up Rob Gronkowski's um, stats uh, since you uh, brought it up. Mm-hmm. It's appropriate to do so, and this is the part of the podcast where we're pausing as Mike uh, browses uh, the career of one Rob Gronkowski. Coffee break. Uh, what's that? I said a coffee sip break. Yes. <laughs> so it's, I, I, the reason I was concerned is now before the 2011 season, that was not a traditional off season because of uh, the labor stoppage and you know the reworked. Uh, labor deal heading into the 2011 season, right? I believe that's right. Yep. Yep. So, but their, but their rookie year was 2010, which was a typical standard off season. Hernandez and Gronkowski coming together, uh, coming into the league together in 2010. So my point remains, my point stands. I was just making sure that I, uh, didn't speak out of turn there, but, um, I am of the belief that the Patriots are more inclined in this particular season 2020 to throw caution to the wind and do things so non-traditional that it's going to really negate any type of uh, need for a regular offseason. I think that's the way they're looking at it, and I don't think that's unwise. I think they're going to uh, have different standards, if you will, for Cam Newton uh, and um, to to a lesser degree Jared Stidham than they would for Tom Brady going into a regular offseason, let's say, in 2017. It's not going to be like that. They're going to have different standards. They're going to have different protocols for rookies and veterans. Uh, and it's just, to me, fascinating to see where they come down on that. What, what do you think will be the one or two biggest changes we'll see uh, with training camp looks to be getting underway still in late July um, and the the fact that we already mentioned probably little to no preseason games. Yeah, well, I think the biggest 
difference is going to be we you know we love to point out those undrafted free agents that stand out in New England and how the Patriots have the history of finding those diamonds in the rough and we always hype up someone in training camp that we get to see last year it was Gunnar Oshevsky and we know they had Malcolm Butler in the past and there's those kinds of guys the undrafted free agents are really at a loss here and they really don't get the same benefit of the doubt as UDFAs have in the past with the Patriots because you kind of just got to go with what you know this season. There's not that much time for them to develop and for you to see those flashes of potential because you kind of got to put things together really quickly and just get the best product you can in a short amount of time out on the field for the beginning of the season. So I I think there's going to be less of those underdog storylines this season Still some really great positional battles that starting at quarterback, that's going to be really fun. Cornerback, there's going to be some great positional battles. But for those rookie free agents, that's where we're going to see a big difference. Probably not those no-name guys making a name for themselves. Well, I think I think that's a great point, Sarah, because um, they're going to have less reps to prove themselves. I don't think there's any question about that. They're, they're going to have to make a name, obviously, in training camp. I do think the Patriots plan on having as close to a standard training camp as possible. But again, even for the Patriots, they were not allowed, uh, as the other 31 teams were not allowed, to have a traditional offseason with mini camps and with OTAs where you do a lot of installing, you do a lot of teaching, and it's not competition. The competition any NFL coach will tell you this. The competition round uh, of the offseason is training camp when you start to put the pads on. But in the you know early part of the offseason, it really is about teaching and uh, kind of onboarding, to use a, a current vernacular, uh, onboarding all of your new players, whether they be rookies, draft picks, uh, undrafted free agents, what have you. And that has been obviously completely disrupted. Yes, they had virtual meetings. Yes, they had virtual uh, coaching sessions, but um, without getting them on the field and getting them together and seeing how they all work together and mesh, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for, I think, an undrafted free agent to make the Patriots, whereas in years past, um, that was more of a possibility. Going back to David Njoku, um, Sierra, um, he is under contract with the Browns for 2020 and 2021. Have you taken a look at his numbers, his contract numbers? I have not. So he's on the on the uh, he he would be a three million dollar cap hit this year. Certainly not bad. Next year, it's six million dollars. All of it um, would be uh, sustained in a cap hit. So that's a big that's a big number. And I think the the motivation for the Browns is to get rid of him now. Um, and you know that's the final year of his rookie deal. Uh, and if they don't have any plans on moving forward, that's a way to perhaps free up some money. But I mean if the Browns valued the tight end for uh, Baker Mayfield in that offense. I, I don't see why they would be rushing to get rid of him. But, you know, we read the reports over the weekend, and maybe the Patriots do make a pitch there. We'll have to wait and see. Absolutely. We'll have to wait and see is right. And it's still interesting with Joe Tooney. I mean, the deadline to make a deal for him is today, Wednesday. So that just kind of throws a complicated uh thing into wrench into the mix because if they don't strike a deal then you don't think that the Patriots are going to go out and make a splash with a signing with their new cap space so I mean yes and no there are a couple of ways to look at that now that they have eight and a half million dollars in cap space 
$14 million is the second biggest number. 14.781 million is what Joe Tooney's franchise number is and the, and the cap hit for the Patriots this year. Um, they may be willing to live with that. I go back and forth on that because I think they know Joe Tooney's a huge, huge part of that offensive line, especially, um, both in the running game and as the left side, uh, you know, left guard. Uh, protecting the blind side off the center. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe they, they feel one year they can live with and then Tooney is probably willing to renegotiate and, and negotiate a long-term deal. Uh, when did you say the, the deadline was, Sierra? Wednesday. So as this podcast airs, we, uh, we could be dating ourselves. By talking about <laughs> Joe Tooney, right? I mean, essentially, um, that's a big deal. And that's yeah. what we should have let off the podcast talking about. I think they, I think they stay put. I just have a feeling that now with the eight and a half million dollars, um, they're going to, um, let him play it out for one more year. And, you know, if something happens where he gets hurt, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but the Patriots aren't on the hook for it. And in reading some reports and talking to our colleague, Evan Lazar, I do, going back to the cap space that the Patriots do currently have, I do think that they're going to be boring with it. I know you mentioned Jadavian Clowney and how Evan has said he couldn't create in a lab a better uh, defensive player for Bill Belichick than Jadavian Clowney. However, the price tag is a little steep. I mean, he started off his free agency asking for $20 million. He lowered it to $17 million. That's not going to happen if he's a Patriot. We saw we saw what happened with Cam Newton, really low-balled him. And there was a little bit of outrage saying that, you know, Cam Newton got taken advantage of. So I don't think you're going to see another big-name player in the NFL kind of get undervalued from the Patriots. But, I mean, Bill Belichick... If anyone's going to pull it off, I guess it would be him. But I do think that it's a far reach, albeit a very good fit, a far reach to get Jadavian Clowney in, in New England. Uh, have you conceded that Cam Newton, assuming he's healthy, okay, yeah. uh, is the starting quarterback uh, for the Patriots in 2020 now, and Jared Stidham is, you know, going to get Garoppoloed? I do think so. I think I don't think you bring in Cam Newton, a guy of his stature, a former MVP who's going to walk into that locker room and demand attention, demand respect. And just you look at him, and he's a larger-than-life figure that a lot of these guys have looked up to in the league for years. So I I do think that Bill in Bill Belichick's eyes, it's still a competition. I truly do believe that he feels that way. But if he's healthy and if he's a semblance of who he was in 2015, that job is his. Yeah, but, you know, the interesting thing about that is judging in a competition is going to be very different, even for Belichick and his staff and Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator. It's going to be very hard for him to judge without any game reps if they indeed have no preseason or they only have one game. That's going to be tough because you're not going to have a lot of film to go off of. Right. I do think Jared Stone's doing all the right things, though. We're seeing Newton post a ton on social media, all the hype videos, tired of being humble. He's hungrier than ever. He's got a chip on his shoulder. It's 
all of this stuff. He said in an interview, I think on Tuesday in a YouTube roundtable, that he's looked at the Patriots' schedule and circled the teams that passed up on him this offseason. So he's coming in with this very motivated mindset, while Jarrett Stidham is still putting in work with Mohamed Sanu and the wide receivers, just doing it very quietly and under the radar. So I do think that he's doing all the right things. He's not being loud about it. Uh, and we will see a quarterback battle in some form come training camp. Terrell Pryor, give me a couple of words. You know, I think the Patriots should pass on Terrell Pryor. I mean, obviously he had a very significant above average NFL career. He's been out of the league for a couple of years now, but I think that they have a decent group. I, I know Evans really high on Damari Bird and and he's so high on him. Mohamed Sanu, he's really high on having a really, really significant season. We're hoping Nikhil Harry shows significant growth, Julian Edelman, and then you have Jacoby Myers and a couple promising UDFAs and Jeff Thomas and Will Hastings and all those guys. So you've got a lot of names and it kind of just feels like Terrell Pryor is in the middle of the pack there. So you're adding someone who's a lot like the rest of them. So I don't think it makes a ton of sense. So my only issue with Mohamed Sanu is the cap number, six and a half million. That's a lot of dough. And that, that ranks him one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh on the team of 90 players signed under contract. Um, that makes him rank, that ranks him seventh, just ahead of Jonathan Jones. If they were to decide that they have enough receivers, and there are people who feel like even with Mohamed Sanu, they're nowhere close to good enough in the receiving core. But if they were to feel, uh, come down on the side that, look, we can do without Mohamed Sanu at six and a half million dollars, that bumps that number up to, uh, 15 million. Yeah. And then you're talking about going out and possibly getting a Jadavian Clowney if he takes more of a discount. And that, that is a scenario that I could see unfold. Uh, for the Patriots if they were to really want a playmaker on defense. So, you know, I, I think the Patriots could go a lot of different ways with a lot of this um, in terms of the salary cap. But it's just, the, you know, the big news of the week um, to me is that salary cap number for the Patriots, you know, really bumping up because of, you know, the settlements uh, on Aaron Hernandez uh, and on Antonio Brown. And like you said, the reworking of the Rex Burkhead deal. Uh, those are big wins for the Patriots. Absolutely. And I do think, just touching on Mohamed Sanu one more time for one second, I think the Patriots and Sanu were equally disappointed in what happened last season with Sanu. We do know he was battling through injury the entire season, but I think they're very high on Sanu. And I do think I, I that agree. if Nikhil Harry doesn't, amount into this star power player that everyone seems to expect him to be this season. Sanu was right up there, right a notch under Edelman if we're taking Nikhil out of the picture as the number two wide receiver on this team. And it's not and it's not super close. So while the cap hit is significant, I don't think they have the depth to get rid of him at this time. You're probably right. I, I, I would agree with that. Talking with Sierra Goodwill, follow her on Twitter for all of her great Patriots coverage. Uh, at Sierra Goodwill, all one word. I hope you know how to spell Sierra. I <laughs> hope you know how to spell Goodwill. Um, 
So follow her, all one word, on Twitter. She does a great job not only covering the Patriots, but all of Boston sports for CLNS Media. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Sports are slowly making their way back with the UFC, NASCAR, and soccer leading the way. Baseball is right around the corner on July 24th, as we all know. Bet Online has all of the best odds and lines for the upcoming matches this weekend. Need more? Bet Online has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every single day live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all of the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag or you can simply use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and you can start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Back with Sierra Goodwill of CLNS Media. All right, Sierra, uh, when I ask you the next question, uh, I want you to be sharp, concise, and to the point. Your biggest concern on the 2020 Patriots roster, you can make it a player, you make it a group, is? Biggest concern is... That's tough. Um... That's why I asked the question, Sierra. I'm going to say the wide receiver position. All right. That's because they have all these pieces who people are really expecting a lot from but haven't shown it in recent years or ever. You're expecting a lot from Nikhil Harry. You're expecting better from Muhammad Sanu. We're expecting Jacoby Myers to not be an undrafted free agent rookie anymore. We're expecting Jamari Bird to shock the world. The only constant, the only consistent name is Julian Edelman, and he's had a lot of injuries recently. We know he was riddled with them last year. So one major injury, two small injuries away from that group being really thin. I would, uh, I, I, you make a good argument there, but that's not where I would go. I would say, believe it or not, as great as they were last year in this area, their defense concerns me more to the point, the middle of their defense. Um, And the question marks are who beyond Dante Hightower and Juwan Bentley are going to step up. And, you know, they lost KVN, uh, Kyle Van Noy, and they lost Jamie Collins. People go hot and cold on Jamie Collins, and I do get that. But the linebackers and pass coverage and the safety position, now, I understand that in Devin McCourty and Patrick Chung, you have two exceptionally proven players, but they're getting long in the tooth, uh, especially Pat Chung, who's taken a lot of hits over the years, over recent years, um, had a few injuries that have slowed him down. Um, he's still very, very good covering tight ends off the line of scrimmage. But my concern is how, how teams started to attack that, that defense later in the season. And I, that last game with the Miami Dolphins in the last drive, I still can't get out of my head because that was a, a defensive drive that the Patriots absolutely needed for a uh, first-round buy, and they couldn't execute against Ryan Fitzpatrick. My concern is they're going to be facing a lot, many more quarterbacks, more dynamic than uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick this year. How do they adjust? And I get it. In Steve, uh, Stephon Gilmore, uh, in Jonathan Jones, J.C. Jackson, even Jason McCourty, they have a lot of depth 
on the corners, right? I mean, they have a ton of depth on the corners. The X factor for me uh, on this defense, obviously rookie Kyle Duggar. How's he going to step up? How's he going to play? And Jawan Williams, second-year player. Those two guys, to me, have to really step up because I think the Patriots are going to be okay offensively. I think they're going to find a way to control the tempo of the game. And um, if it's Stidham, they'll run the ball and they will make it their – mission in life to run the ball if, it, if it's Jared Stidham. If it's Cam Newton, they're going to be dynamic and live with some of the mistakes uh, and gambles that Cam Newton uh, takes back there. Uh, but they'll have a dynamic player and a potential, you know, former, as you said, MVP back there. But it, it's defense that nags me somewhat on, on this team. Yeah, I do think that Kyle Duggar is going to be make an impact right away. I do think they're going to need him to, and I do think he's going to be one of the major shocks during training camp at how ready he is. And at linebacker position, Chase Winovich had a really significant rookie season, still only played about 30% I mean, he's listed as a linebacker, but to me, he, he is a special, until he proves otherwise, he is a third down specialty type of player. You know, certainly he could grow into a linebacking role, uh, but I consider him more of an edge than I do a linebacker. Yeah, I do think he's going to have a lot, take a lot more snaps this this season, play a lot more snaps. And Josh Uche in a similar position to Winovich uh, will have to step up as well in his rookie season. So we'll see how that goes. I think a lot of people will be shocked to hear your concerns about the defense, just considering that they were so dominant last season. But it's understandable. I, I get that. They, absolutely. But they were so dominant in the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. And then when the competition and the more mobile quarterbacks and the more dynamic, adjustable um, offenses uh, appeared in the second half of the schedule, they were not the same. I mean, take a look at what Deshaun Watson did in that in the first two and a half quarters of that Sunday night game. To me, yeah. that's when the, when the red flag started. Like, uh-oh, some of these other teams with better quarterbacks – more dynamic offenses, the ability to spread the field, spread the Patriots defense out a little bit more, and we're able to really find the weak spots in the middle of that defense and really, you know, made some hay. That That's where my concern is. And I'm sure, you know, Belichick doesn't care about all of the stats and how great they looked on paper in the first half of the season. He sees what I saw. Uh, in the in the last part of that Miami game and some of the games leading up to that, and they were not the same team. That's all. No, I agree with you. And the Jamie Collins KVN void is yet to be filled, so we'll see how that goes. What else is on your mind? Oh, Trags, I know this is a Patriots podcast, but how good does it feel to be back at Fenway Park? I mean, I'm just itching to get back to some semblance of sports in person. Yeah, I've sent – by the way, you might want to check in with John. I have sent him my schedule of some of the games at least through um, July that uh, I will be at. I am, I'm looking – I've been over there five times. I'm going over to Fenway again on uh, Wednesday, and it's good to see – action at Fenway, but I'm going to warn you ahead of time. It is surreal. It's It has that sense of something's really off. And even Ron Renicky mentioned this the other day. He said, look, it's very different. Something just feels a little bit off. And I 
think that's what you have to get over at first. I mean, certainly the players and the coaches and the managers are all going to have to get over it. But once you get past that, I guess it's okay. You know, I guess it's good. It's good to have games. The thing I like, and I've told people this, it's great to see games in actual uh, arenas, venues, Mm -hmm. the way they should be. The bubble idea, I'm not a fan of. I am not a fan of these teams playing in this one centralized location like the NBA or the NHL. I, I just think they're gonna, it's gonna be so removed that the players are gonna feel like science projects. They're gonna, it's just gonna feel not real. They're gonna pipe in noise. I get that they're gonna do everything they can to provide the comforts of home and, and kudos to them. But a, uh, the thing I like about baseball, and I think, you know, football is probably going to follow the same lead as baseball in terms of the logistics, is that uh, they want the teams playing uh, in the regular venues as much as possible. Yeah, I'm hoping that training camp, it's not looking great for uh, the masses of the media to be at training camp. No, but, well, um, and, and I understand that. I, look, I mean, you know, we – you, me, Evan, all of us, and, you know, whoever at Nesson or NBC Sports Boston or WBC, we can all bitch and moan about not ha- none of us are really going to do that, though, because we understand what's going on. It's a pandemic. This is unlike anything before. My concern is, and I tell my friends and family this all the time, I don't know when it's going to come back to normal. And I'm talking about years. I'm not talking months. I, I think this is going to have an impact that's going to last at least a year, maybe two. Definitely a domino effect. It's impossible how there won't be. We're already seeing it with scheduling-wise for the NBA and NHL, and we haven't even touched on the economic situation of this pandemic. So things are going to be different for a while. Um, but as long as – I'm counting down the days. We're close now to sports being back to actual games, and I can't wait. I'll take them any way I can get them at this point. And I understand that attitude, and I think that's a healthy attitude. Uh, I want to bring up a text that I got from Evan this morning. Okay. And he says, um, <laughs> the sports leagues aren't taking no for an answer. And I think there, there's truth to that because I don't think these leagues want to give up on sports Mm-mm. and include, and include led by the National Football League. They just, they know you're, you're talking about tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars at stake in not only the owner's pockets, but the economies of every, everything touched by the National Football League, which is much greater and broader, I think, than the MLB, NHL, and NBA combined. And maybe that's hyperbole, but that's the way I feel, and that's why I think the NFL is going to push forward no matter what. No, everyone said that the NFL owns a day of the week, if not two or three, with Monday and Thursday night football. So it's we saw today, or on Tuesday, the Patriots sent out an email saying yeah. if, if fans are allowed, they'll be – allowing 20% capacity at Gillette Stadium. So they're just trying to trek through this. Everything we're going to do as much as we can. Football's going to happen. We are going to make adjustments, but we're not canceling the season. We're going to do anything we can to get a product out on that football field because everyone needs it. So, I And I fall on the side of I agree with that. Uh, there will be others who say, how can you possibly put football ahead of human lives? And I don't necessarily look at it that way. I don't think that 
I don't think they are endangering people by going ahead with the league, but I also think there's inherent risk in living now. And, you know, this is a much deeper philosophical conversation than I really want to get into now. And I think you know where I fall on all of this, Sierra. But, um, I, look, I'm just looking to try and find a happy middle ground where everybody can get along and, and move forward. And, you know, I think the NFL is too. Oh, and you know what we didn't bring up? What? The Washington Whatchamacallits. Oh, the Washington Whatchamacallums. About time, I guess. So this has been a topic of discussion. For- Look, I mean, this was a, this has been a topic for decades. But what do you think the leader in the clubhouse is for a new name? Ooh, I think the I like the Warriors, the Washington yeah. Warriors. Uh, I like the Washington Warriors because it keeps the sense of what a Redskin was. That is you know, a, a Native American warrior. Um, and I don't, you know, and you certainly have um, teams and lead, teams around pro sports that have well, obviously the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Uh, and you have uh, other teams uh, in other sports and other levels of sports uh, that have embraced that. So that's probably where they're going. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like the alliteration. I mean, they did say that they, whatever the new name and logo is, they're still going to try to honor that Native American history. And so I think that's a good way to do it. That's not expensive. And, and the other thing is, um, I think they'll keep the colors. If I were them, I'd yeah. keep the colors because the colors yeah. are awesome. So, I like the colors as well. And it, it helps with the transition. Fans don't have to, you know, completely haul all their gear. You can just slap a new name and logo on there and you're good yeah. to go. That's, and that's exactly where I think they're headed with this. I think they will keep the team colors. Um, I think they'll change it from Redskins to Warriors. People forget, uh, by the way, in the late 60s, early 70s, their helmet was not the Redskin. You know that, right? What was it? It was an R. It was a red uh-huh. R in a uh, yellowish circle. So I feel like uh, I've seen that before. Yeah, So um, and that certainly was not offensive. So they could go back to a circle uh with like a gold w in it that would be pretty yeah, that's cool i think everybody could live with that and be happy with that's, it i like it and i it's definitely just a product of the time we're in there there had to be a catalyst for this and i think the current this is i think it's going to be remembered as a change that happened in the wake of george floyd's death and the current black lives matter movement i do think so so it's nice that it's kind of has has deeper meaning to it rather just, than just it's time to move on and move past it so we don't have to hear the stupid argument anymore. I, I just I'm so t- I don't want to talk about logos. I don't want to talk about names. I want to talk about sports and look, I'm an old man. I get that and everybody knows that. So. Exactly. Anyway, I think I'm done here. I like it, Trags. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. You are always a blast to have on. You know that, Sierra, right? Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate it. I try. <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank the one and only Sierra Goodwill. Follow her on Twitter at Sierra Goodwill, all one word. Also want to thank our terrific sponsor, the very loyal betonline.ag. For producer Mike Alonji and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media.
Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.